The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Team all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver Show rolls on. Heath Klein in for Chuck today. Thank you for hanging out with us, talking some college football. Of course, we do it 52 weeks a year. A man who also pays close attention to college football 52 weeks a year, Mark Passwaters. He joins us now. From Aggieyell.com, that is a rival's property. Mark, how are you, man? Hey, what's going on, Heath? Uh, just keep an eye on what's happening with the Aggies. It's been obviously an interesting last few weeks for them, although Alabama now with everything going on there kind of takes it to a whole other level of, uh, of quick movement in and out. But again, a lot of kids moving out of Texas A&M, but also a lot of kids moving in, and now an AD moving out. I guess we should start with that because it's the most recent news. So let's begin with that. Ross Bjork, on his way to Ohio State, announced officially as the AD up there. Uh, what, if anything, matters about this to Texas A&M? Uh, well, you know, they don't have an athletic director for a little while. I think that obviously means something. But outside of that, you know, I'm not sure that Ross was long for, for A&M anyway, one way or the other. Um, there, there were some things, you know, obviously surrounding the, the coach search that didn't go well. Uh, you know, there, there were some issues that I'd heard complaints about inside the athletic department. Uh, he was a very capable athletic director. He made some good hires. He, uh, raised a lot of money, which obviously is appealing to any athletic department, but you know, there were, there were also problems. He, 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 he got stuck with the blame for that big extension for Jimbo Fisher, and then he fired Jimbo Fisher. And then, obviously, the coach search, which, you know, bizarrely ended up with Mark Stoops for about an hour and a half, maybe two. Uh, you know, that that's an albatross that he's going to have to deal with. And I don't think that a whole lot of people are, are shedding tears now that he's leaving for Ohio State. Well, that, that's kind of where I wanted to go was that, uh, look, credit to him because this guy must interview really, really well. He clearly knows how to play the game because Ohio State's one of the best AD jobs in the business. And to get that after a year where you had to eat a massive contract extension like no one has ever eaten in the history of college football that you were a part of and also to have a coaching search that certainly appeared to wildly careen off the rails there, uh, that's just... I was kind of surprised, frankly, that he could find that as a landing spot, but I'm not terribly shocked he might have felt he needed a landing spot. So uh, how much, whether it's true or not, was he able to spin the idea that, hey, I didn't have any choice in this extension, the boosters wanted it? Because that's been a thing that's been said a few times through the years at Texas A&M is that, hey, I might have been in the chair, but I'm not necessarily the person who's got the steering wheel just because I'm in the chair. We got a lot of backseat drivers here. Is that how he spins that? I think that's the way that I would have tried to spin it. I mean, certainly, even though he was hung with the albatross on that one, it's unfair because 
you, you and I both know what was going on there, that Jimbo Fisher was being courted very heavily by LSU and Scott Woodward, uh, the guy who hired him at A&M before leaving to go over there. Uh, it was a move that at the time was universe, well, almost universally supported. And then, obviously, things went south and Fisher got fired. But to say that he did that all by himself is absolutely ridiculous. You know, the board of trustees wanted it done. The chancellor wanted it done. A large part of the fan base wanted it done. So what's the guy supposed to do? Uh, You know, so if you want to get him on that one, I think that you're going down the wrong road. But on the other hand, if you want to get him for firing that same coach and then botching the coach search, even though it ended up pretty well with Mike Elko, I think that's very fair. Mark Passwaters with us from AggieYell.com here on the Chuck Oliver Show. So just quickly to, to go to Elko, when you are hired by somebody and then before you've even gotten to spring practice, suddenly you're going to have a new boss, uh, that doesn't sound great to a lot of people, especially when Elko, comparatively speaking to Jimbo, does not have as secure a long-term contract, although if he wins, he'll obviously be fine. Uh, does Elko get to have any kind of voice in what they do here for who his boss would be? Because that that's not ideal when you've got a guy as your boss that's not the guy who hired you. Right. Um, I think that they'll probably ask him for his opinion, but I don't think he'll have as much sway as, as Fisher did. And after the way that went, I'm not sure that they would want them to him to have that much sway. So. I'm sure that he'll get asked, and I'm sure that the AD that they end up hiring will have two prominent skills. One, he gets along with football coaches, and two, he raises a lot of money. Uh, beyond that, uh, it's anybody's guess where they go with it. So, me- meanwhile, whatever the situation turns out to be in the administrative side of things, uh, Mike Elko comes in, and he appears to be really doing well with the portal. They had a lot of kids come make their way out of there, but I saw they're up to the number two spot in the portal rankings, and then that was before they had Des Ricks the other day, who's another five-star into the mix. So why has Elko, because if you think about Duke, Duke was not a place where Elko took a lot of transfers. Um, Why has Elko been so successful with the portal so far? Well, I think that there are two reasons. One, necessity. Uh, You know, getting in there, he had to really make some moves fast because the recruiting class was small. And, I, you know, that it's tough to sit there and establish relationships in, what, 18 days that other programs have been developing for 18 months. Uh, so, you know, the transfer portal, you can get in there. You've got a little bit more time. Uh, you've got some experienced players who maybe are more willing to listen to what you've got to say. And I'm sure that NIL helped a little bit. Uh, not as much as everybody's going to make it out to me, but certainly it didn't hurt. Uh, so I think those are those are the two main things. But obviously the appeal of playing time for juniors and seniors who have to make a quick uh, impression probably helped him too. So with what they've gotten, again, just because it's a highly rated class doesn't mean you necessarily are meeting all your needs. Looking at the roster right now, what do they still need? Where are they thin? Uh, I think they could use another defensive tackle um, and maybe another defensive, uh, a three-down defensive end. I say that as looking at a, maybe a guy who's like 270 pounds. They have two very good starters right now in Shamar Stewart, a five-star, and Nick Scorton, Nick the guy who uh, led the, the, the Big Ten in, in sacks last year at Purdue, 
uh, who has come home. He's actually from Bryan. Uh, so they've got guys that they can get out there for three downs, but if one of those guys gets tired or gets hurt, then you're looking at a lot of thinner, really fast guys. So if they could find a three-down defensive end, that would be good. If they could find another defensive tackle, that would be good. And obviously, you know, hey, if a, a, you know, a really fast, really good wide receiver is out there, you know, that wouldn't suck either. But outside of that, they've really done a very good job of filling the needs that they had. Mark Passwater's with us from AggieL.com here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Again, the AD's out. A lot of kids are on their way in. Uh, the staff, as it is now constructed, how do you feel about it? I like it. Uh, I, You know, a lot of people may be like, well, I don't know who this fella is or I don't know who that fella is. But if you go and you take a look, uh, you know, at the track record of these fellows, they've got some really good guys. Uh, I'm very excited about the change in offensive line coach. Uh, you know as well as anybody that I was not a fan of Steve Adazio, and he didn't give me much of a reason to be a fan. Uh, so getting him out of there is obviously a plus. And to get a guy who's been one of the best offensive line coaches in the country is a huge plus. Uh, love the addition of the strength and conditioning coach. Uh, you know, the guy who was at LSU for a long time, and obviously they – they put together some great teams there, and they were very physical, good SEC teams. Uh, you know, I, I really like top to bottom what they did, and I think that Colin Klein is a guy that people don't realize how good he was at K-State and how versatile his offense was, and I think that it's going to be really neat to see what he can do with far, far better talent uh, at a yeah, I'm curious to see exactly what that looks like because part of being at a place like K-State is that you have to work with what you have. So you, you see somebody and you see what they do, but you don't necessarily know, hey, are, are they making the meal this way because they're working in a restaurant? This is the best ingredients they can get. Now we're putting them in a five-star kitchen. Do they make a different kind of meal or do they just put better ingredients into the meal they were making the whole time? Do we have a feel for for which one it's going to be with Colin Klein? Does, the, the, this, does everything look the same with what he did at, at K-State, or is it just too soon to tell what his plans are? Well, they went out and got a couple of tight ends uh, really fast, uh, and they didn't, you know, looking at the depth chart, they didn't necessarily have to. Uh, that made me think that they're going to do a lot of the things similarly uh, to K-State. I mean, if they can find somebody who wants to play the Ben Sinnott role, that would be great. Uh, that kid was tremendous. Uh, they've gotten some more wide receivers, guys who have some speed, some who have some size, uh, you know. But I think that what you're going to see is the base will look very similar to what they had at K-State. But one of the things that I like most about Klein was his ability to adapt week to week. So sitting there saying, well, this is what it's going to be every week like it was with Jimbo, I don't think that's going to be the case here. With regards to the old staff, by the way, I saw South Carolina hired a couple of people away from that staff that uh, had not been retained in Coley and Blackwell. Uh, there's one particularly high-profile member of the staff for recruiting purposes that, as far as I know, hasn't landed yet. Have you heard anything on Damian Craig? Uh, you know, he was looked at for a second at Arkansas, but outside of that, no, nothing. And, you know, to be perfectly honest, uh, he's going to have to overcome a few things. One, uh he doesn't have the greatest reputation among high school coaches. Two, his receivers at A&M didn't do that good. And three, he's known as, you know, kind of Jimbo's guy. And he's going to have to 
erase that perception if he's going to get on anywhere. But so far, I've heard very little outside of, uh, you know, the possibility that he might have been added at Arkansas and they went in another direction. Yeah, it's interesting because Chuck and I were just talking off air about that the other day. Chuck was curious if, if Damien had found a spice. I don't think he has, but I figured I'd go ahead and ask you while we had you because historically, at least when it comes to recruiting, his rep has been extremely strong. Whereas a guy like Adazio, that, that rep has been progressively downgrading for years since he got fired at Boston College and even really before that. Uh, but with Craig, at least given how much people need recruiters, I, I wonder if there's still a chance somewhere like in Alabama that needs a live body says, ah, yeah, he's got he's worked several places we compete against, but the dude could recruit. I just wonder whether or not maybe a place that needs a recruiter like that still gives him a call. It's hard to imagine a guy with that guy's recruiting chops is completely on the shelf in 2024, but we shall see. Mark, always appreciate the time, man. You can check him out, AggieL.com, where you can find his work, MVP Rivals. That's B, not E-M-V, MVP Rivals, if you are a Twitter person. Thanks, Mark. No problem, Heath. Take care. There you go. A little bit of a look at what's going on in College Station, where, again, they're, um, they're feeling pretty good, it seems like, about how they have been able to fill the huge departure that they had. They had said so many of those kids, but even if you're not filling it with the same level of talent as some of the kids who left, given how much the kids that they brought in in that Jimbo class that was allegedly the number one recruiting class of all time, given how many problems they had with some of those guys almost right away, you almost feel like, if you're just getting fresh people in the building that don't have anything to do with that experience, they might not be 100% equal talent for talent, but if they're talented enough and they're just coming in without any baggage like that, even if, even if you were part of the class and you didn't have anything that you did personally be an issue, just being associated with that era, it just seems like you need a fresh air blowing through there, a whole breeze blowing through to just kind of clean out that program. And so uh, I think they might surprise some people with what they could put together. Again, Elko's a heck of a coach. That much I think everybody can agree on with what you saw him do at Duke and what his defenses always were as an assistant. That dude is a way better coach than I think maybe some people fully realize yet that didn't pay attention to Duke because you're just kind of a, a college football fan in general, but you don't pay attention to every program. But if you watched, you know, that guy did miracles over there. So... I'm interested to see what it can look like at College Station with a dude who isn't as obsessed with doing things his way, my play sheet, and I'm the play caller, and I'm in charge, and we're going to go at my pace, and boosters can't tell me nothing. Having a guy who's actually just trying to coach and not stage ego battles, I think that's going to be interesting to see. It is the Chuck Oliver Show. We continue talking college football. 15 minutes from now, we hit the national picture. Going to talk to one of the best in the business, Stuart Mandel, about that. Keep it right here. of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show Caliber Show here. Heath Klein in for Chuck today. Again, Stuart Mandel going to join us coming up in about 10 minutes. Take a look at his perspective on the national scene. It's 2024 and it's January and people are already getting the chance to bet on college football. 
I don't know how anybody, with what we have just seen in the last week, I don't know how anybody could feel confident in placing a bet on college football right now in any capacity because it could all change so quickly. But there are people who will take advantage because people love to bet and people especially love to bet if they think that they've gotten out ahead of the pack. So I I will just quickly go through a few lines just because I think we should take them and kind of follow them away in our head. And then later on, when it's time for these games to be played for real, you can go back and look and compare and see whether or not what the folks that put these out back in January were thinking in any way correlates to what it looks like at the time. I would argue even just compare them to July because the Vegas casinos don't have these out. This is a, a, a sports book that is a national sports book that's legal here in the States, but it's not it's not Vegas. They're the, the best casinos in Vegas will wait until after spring before they start hanging the numbers on their games that they do as their games of the year. So just, just follow it away. But a few games of note that I would think get your attention. One is Georgia and Bama. Now, again, Bama's in the middle of all this, all this chaos right now. How you hang a line on Bama, I have no idea. Haven't seen a single practice with Kalen DeBoer. But, hey, somebody wants to take bets on it, that's their business, not mine. The spread for the game at this sports book nationally, Georgia at Bama, two-and-a-half-point favorites. That's interesting to me. Again, we have no idea how Bama's going to play with a first-year head coach. And Bama's losing some of the raw talent, at least for now. They'll add talent to replace it, I'm sure. But there's at least that perception that, hey, it's still it's still Bama, it's still Tuscaloosa, to the point that Georgia is only favored at the moment by two-and-a-half points. If that's what that looks like the week of the game, man, I'll be surprised. Real surprised. Remember, that game's in late September, so you're going to find out pretty quick about how DeBoer's team is looking, and that's their first SEC game. So that was one that definitely got my attention. We just mentioned Texas A&M with Mark Passwaters. A&M with a new coach going against Notre Dame. A&M favored by one and a half against Notre Dame. I saw a thing today, a piece where Notre Dame had someone who writes for one of their sites arguing, hey, why can't they be Michigan? They've got an experienced quarterback, not an experienced quarterback that was there at Notre Dame last year, but an experienced quarterback in Riley Leonard. And we've got these guys returning on the line and we got these many seniors. So, you know, why couldn't Notre Dame be Michigan? I don't feel like this year's Michigan would be an underdog to a Texas A&M team that'll be playing their first game under their head coach. But for what it's worth, A&M one-and-a-half-point favorites against Notre Dame. This is the one out of all of them that really grabbed my attention the most, though. Clemson does not have chaos. Clemson has the opposite. Clemson has a head coach who stayed put. Clemson has taken no transfers. They are choosing to rely on developing their own talent and adding talent through the recruiting class, as they have always done. They get Georgia in the first game at the Dome. I guess it's the Benz now. Neutral site, what would you think the line would be? Just give yourself a second in your head and think about it. Clemson coming off of what they did at the end of the year. Georgia coming off of what they did. Twelve and a half. Twelve and a half points for the dogs. That's how far Clemson has fallen in perception. That Georgia 
is 12 and a half points better than them. And an Alabama team that will have home field advantage, but other than that has huge questions about who they are right now, is 10 points better than Clemson, with the only difference being neutral field versus home field. That is, that is wild to me, that the perception of Clemson as a program has withered that much in just a few years. Because it wasn't long at all ago that we had, oh, DJU's a Heisman Trophy candidate. Did you see him against Notre Dame? He's going to be the next great Clemson quarterback. They're going to be unstoppable with him, too. It's just going to continue on. Yeah, first it was Deshaun Watson. Then it was Trevor Lawrence. Now it's going to be DJU. Look out. Here comes Clemson. And then things just kind of have gone sideways. And Klubnik has talent, but Klubnik has certainly not showed yet that he can be that level of player either. And until they either find him or someone else to re-elevate that program with electrifying quarterback play or Dabo stops voluntarily giving up the talent gap to other programs that they can make up with transfers and he just chooses to let them, man, I, I just, it's wild to see what's happening there. It really is to me to look at that number. Again, these are people doing this for money. This isn't some fan on a message board. These people doing it for money. And they feel comfortable putting 12 and a half out there. Now, who knows? Maybe you're saying, hey, I'm going to go bet that immediately. Go, go for it. Also, a couple other quick lines towards the end of the year. LSU, one and a half against Bama. Uh, Georgia is three and a half at Ole Miss. And uh, also, you've got Ohio State as a six-point favorite posted right now against Michigan. Again, talk about a, a game that I don't know why anybody be trying to bet on right now. You have no idea whatsoever uh, whether Harbaugh will be back at Michigan or not, you tend to lean towards not if he can get the NFL job. But even today, one of the two places he's known to have interviewed, the Falcons have reportedly scheduled a second interview with Bill Belichick. So it might, at the moment, be chargers or bust for Harbaugh on getting a head coaching job. So he might be there. Even if he is there, he might be coaching in the game or he might be suspended. I mean, <laughs> a lot of variables on that game. But right now, Ohio State, even having lost the last three in a row, currently in a six-point spread for that one. Just a few things I want to pass on I thought were interesting, but, uh, but man, that Clemson number got my attention in a big way. We'll look at the national picture with Stuart Mandel coming up here on the Chuck Oliver Show. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. At Jim Ellis Automotive, we take pride in our family-owned and operated business. Hi, I'm Stacy Ellis, Vice President of the Jim Ellis Automotive Group. When my granddad, Jim Ellis, founded our company in 1971, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was easy and fully transparent. And it worked. Fifty years later, my dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. Today, third-generation family members like myself, along with the support of more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values our company was founded on. At Jim Ellis Automotive, we try harder because we sincerely value your satisfaction. That's why we've been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. 
Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of our 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, still family owned and operated and where you can always expect the best. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver show rolls on. He's flying in for Chuck today, hanging out with you, and of course, talking college football all year. Another place you can find folks talking college football all year is on the Audible. It is, I would argue, the best college football podcast available on the national level. And it is co-hosted by Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman. They do a terrific job. And last week, Stuart Mandel, who's about to join us here on the program, Stuart Mandel said, we're going to take it down now to, you know, off-season, one show a week, unless there's breaking news. I think Stuart's had to do like nine shows since then. Stuart, how are you? I'm great, Heath. Thank you very much. That was very nice of you to say about the Audible, which, as you mentioned, has had several emergency episodes since the national championship game uh, just for folks who have not heard you talk about this on the podcast just just take them through what it's like you know here you are you're not just a podcast host you're of course the editor-in-chief for college football at the athletic what's it like when nick saban just retires um you know fortunately we had started hearing those rumors that morning so we weren't completely unprepared i kind of started writing my you know tribute column the writing comes first at the athletic for sure. And the beauty of podcasts is uh, it's not a, um, at least, I mean, Bruce and I don't have the most professional setup, I fully admit. But, you know, once he got done chasing the news of it and I got done writing comedy, we can just hop on Zoom for 20 minutes and, and knock out a quick episode. So that was, a, that was a memorable day, to say the least. So now in the last week, we've obviously seen the domino effect take now five different head coaching jobs and change them. One of the things I talked about earlier in the show, Stuart, is that it feels like this, the way this is playing out, the fact that even an Alabama has seen their roster immediately start getting picked up, uh, different five stars leaving, NIL opportunities elsewhere are better. They don't really have the ability to go and fight because right now the portal is closed for a lot of schools. Uh, it feels like this is a sea change, that some of the places that want to blow up their coaching staff might think twice seeing what it can lead to in the loss of talent. And also, if you're an AD and you are going to make a move, I mean, you're going to have to basically fire the coach at 10 and hire a coach at 5 o'clock that afternoon. The days of the, we're going to have a a committee and do seven interviews, those days sure look like they're done. Yeah, I mean, look how quickly they replaced Nick Saban, right? And this is a, a day that we knew would come at some point, but when it did come, it definitely caught some people by surprise. And within 48 hours, Greg Byrne had his replacement in place. And this is exactly why people feel like they have to move quickly to avoid an exodus. Now, I would say I think that's very short-term thinking. Yes, you want to win games next year. You want to have a, a great roster. But you want to get this higher right. I mean, if Kalen DeBoer um, you know, doesn't pan out, that that's an enormous impact on the university, on the athletic department, on the football program. You want to make sure you get that hire right. I think he's a great hire, um, but you know it, it's not like they had a lot of time to do a lot of vetting on that. The, the, the fascinating thing to me about Kalen DeBoer is that I feel like if Nick Saban had retired in the middle of December, that he might not even have been on their list. It, it, it you know his stock just went through the roof when they 
won that first playoff game and made the national championship game. Yeah, it's been interesting, too, because there are a lot of people who are looking at it and saying, as it turns out, for Alabama to make the make the playoff basically is the worst thing that could have happened for them long term. Obviously, it was a great coaching job by Saban to to get them there in the first place and to have the chance to come so close to playing for a title. But at the same time, because now here you are, everybody else can try and cherry pick off your roster and you're limited because the portal is closed. It really has put them in a difficult spot. The one thing I was wondering about, Stuart, is that next year with the expanded playoff, with when semesters begin, this may not be as much of a thing next year because it may just be too late for some of these schools that get deeper in the playoff to to have kids get into the portal. Well, to address the first part, I mean, one thing people should should realize know is that Washington. I mean, Washington is kind of like Michigan. They had a lot of guys who could have turned pro the year before who came back. Most notably, Michael Penix. So they were always, regardless of the coaching change, um, there was going to be some rebuilding to do next year. When the coaching change happened, though, it caused some guys who weren't able to go to the NFL yet to enter the portal. I mean, their whole offensive line is in the portal now. Um, so I think right now everybody's focused on the, you know, the, the stinks. It stinks for these teams, right? The coach leaves, and now you don't just lose the coach, you lose a lot of your roster. But let's not forget there is a spring portal window as well. And last year, um, that turned out to be a much less eventful window. You didn't see a lot of big names go into it. But that could be different this year because of this situation. Case in point, if I'm a receiver anywhere in America and I see what Roma Adunze and McMillan and Polk did in Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb's offense, Alabama's going to be a very attractive destination to me in the spring. So Alabama might have to go through spring football with a pretty depleted receiving core, and then they might pick up whoever knows after that, right? Same for Washington, same for Arizona. So it's not like there isn't another chance to dip into the portal here. The other thing is, you mentioned the playoff. I don't think we can possibly predict yet how that's all going to play out next year. But I don't know that the – I mean, remember, this, this new format was proposed in the summer of 2021 before NIL even became a thing. And I don't think the commissioners have taken into account how much that calendar has changed to the point where the national championship game next year is not until January 20th. The notion that guys are going to just stay with their team because they're pursuing a national championship, I mean, we already saw Texas's backup quarterback enter the portal before the playoff game. Uh, Ohio State's quarterback, Kyle McCord, clearly had his mind made up that he was going to go somewhere else. Uh, it is possible that these teams that make the playoff, but especially go on a deep run, there might be like uh, a siphoning off of some players during the middle of the playoff unless they can figure out a way to adjust this calendar. And that gets to one of the core issues of the sport is that it doesn't feel like there's a coherent vision there's no commissioner. People talked about, oh, there should be a commissioner. It's kind of fantasy land talk. There's just not a way to really have that. But there's not a clear vision for saying, okay, something that was well-intentioned, like, say, putting an early signing period together, but then choosing to put it in December right in the middle of all the coaching searches and now what the portal creates, it's just not working. We either need to get rid of the early signing period or we need to move it to, like, September and let kids who sign then who are 
like 100 percent committed and they only can come back out if there's a coaching change or something. But at this point, it, it feels like an early signing period is just sort of a self-defeating thing and they'd be better off moving it to February. But I don't even know, Stuart, maybe you do because you're national. You talk to everybody. I don't even know who could do that, who would say this isn't working anymore. We have to adjust. It would have to come from, I think, the NCAA football oversight committee, and those things never work particularly quickly. Early signing day was very well-intentioned. I mean, you remember the days when when there was only one signing day in February, and so you'd have kids who'd been committed for months, but obviously other schools don't stop recruiting them. And so the coaches would have to spend all of December going in-home visits just to babysit their current commitment. So the idea was like, hey, these guys have already made up their mind. Just let them put it in writing. But this all predates the portal. It all predates, you know, a lot of the things that were put in place are now outdated. So, you know, when people talk about how crowded that calendar is in December, to me, that's the easiest thing to move. Like, move either move it to, I would say move it to February. I'd say move it to September 1st because look how many kids commit well before that. But that's not what's causing them the most angst. It's the portal. And I don't have an easy answer for that because of the academic calendar. Um, people have said, well, just, you know, they can't enter the portal to the end of the school year. Well, kids need to, if they want to, if they know they're, where I'm done here and I want to go to my next school, they want to be enrolled right now, mid-January for the next semester to be able to participate in spring practice. So I don't know. I don't know how you move that window. Um, it, it, it might not be possible. Um, now, in terms of these schools, now you, you could put maybe a limit on the back end so that these schools that are going through these coaching changes right now, hey, those kids are free to transfer in April or May and play right away, but you can't you know extend it into February. I don't know. So anyway, it, it's a mess. No, it, <laughs> it gets to the core I issue. The playoff, yeah, the playoff it, is going to make it even more of a mess. Um, it, it gets to yeah. the core issue, Stuart, which is that in the end, any reform somebody wants to suggest, and you know how it is. I'm sure you get plenty of emails. Oh, they should say no school could take more than 10 transfers in a year or something like that. Well, that sounds great, except for then the second you put that restriction in, people point out, yeah, regular students could transfer at whatever rate the university wants to take in. We're going to take this to court, and you're going to lose. Un- until they get to the point where there's some sort of collectively bargained agreement that takes everything going to court and the NCAA losing every time they try to put any kind of restrictions in place until that happens. We're just, this is a mess. Yeah. Well, that's, a, you know, you hit on a great point, right? Also in the last couple of years, we had a Supreme court decision that basically opened the floodgates for every other NCAA restriction, somebody to sue. And we just saw, you know, very, you know, I, I felt like it took like a week or less for some attorney generals to challenge the, uh, rule that you can't do it a second, so you can't transfer and play immediately a second time. And that's now lifted, right? At least temporarily. Anybody can go anywhere. Um, it's chaos. And there's not much they can do about it. So you're right. I get emails. I got ones this week. There needs to be a salary cap. It's not fair that, you know, Oregon can spend way more money on, on NIL than somebody else. You can't have a salary cap. That's an antitrust lawsuit. So we're, what we're in is a, is a, I would say a transition period. I think we'll look back one day at this era and be like, oh, man, that was really silly that we had um, collectives, you know, raising money, you know, from from fans to pay the athletes and da-da-da-da-da. At some point soon, next few years, the athletes are going to become employees. And I'm not saying that's a great thing for anybody, but what it would do is 
a lot of these things that people are complaining about, you could now collectively bargain. Maybe you, you could put an NIL salary cap into place. Or short of that, you know, the athletes would enter into contracts that say, we're going to pay you X, but you have to stay until, you know, June 30th, 2025 or whatever. And so now they can't up and transfer, you know, on a, on a, on a moment's notice. But that's not going to come together quickly. You know, it's going to take several years. And in the meantime, I think it'll just continue to be very chaotic. Couple more minutes here with Stuart Mandel. Again, you can check him out on The Athletic and, of course, on the Audible podcast with Bruce Feldman. Stuart, we've obviously seen schools go and play another year or even multiple years in conferences that they were leaving. What we have not seen is the open hostility between the ACC and FSU. The fact that the ACC yesterday not only came back at FSU, but said, one, you should have to pay us more money because you're stomping all over our rules. And, oh, yeah, by the way, while you're in violation of the rules, you shouldn't even get to have a vote in the conference and how we do things. Uh, there's not really a good analog to this that I can find in the history of conference realignment. This thing could get really messy. Yeah, there's never been anything like it. I mean, you, you certainly had schools that grumbled, right? We always knew Texas might and Oklahoma might do what they ended up doing with, with the Big 12. But, yeah, I mean, Florida State is at war with its conference while still competing in the conference. It's really ugly. And it's not entirely clear what the end game is. I mean, at the end of the day, their whole court case is that this grant of rights that we voluntarily signed and knew these terms of, we should be allowed out of it because we don't like the TV deal. And so, you know, lawyers I've talked to think that's not a winning case. However, they're making it so untenable that it's almost at some point it's going to become in both parties' interests to let them go, right? So you negotiate a settlement. Um, I think back to when Maryland left the ACC for the Big Ten and they were going to have to pay some extraordinary fee, but they eventually negotiated it down. Like I think that's where that's headed to for Florida State. Um, the thing that that college athletics absolutely cannot afford to happen is for a court to, to for it to get to the point where court a judge actually does rule that the grant of rights is not enforceable. Because at that point, every school in America is a free agent, and who knows what would happen at that point. Yeah, it could be a colossal mess. It just, we just, I just wonder, I mean, there were people who complained, oh, you know, maybe the officials are going to be against Texas or Oklahoma this year. But, but it was an open hostility like this, and it just is going to create right. such a weird environment if it's like this in the fall for for FSU trying to compete in that conference. I'm be fascinated to see what that looks like. Very last thing, Stuart, at the moment, for folks who don't know, your number one team is for 2024 whom? Oh, definitely Georgia. I mean, Georgia was one of the best teams this season, right, regardless of whether they made it in the playoff. And unlike some of these schools, like like Michigan is going to have – loses, I think, two-thirds of their starters, right? Alabama is now in that category. Washington's lost almost everybody. Georgia has almost everybody coming back, especially on defense. And now – if, as we expect, Caleb Downs, All-American as a freshman from Alabama, comes to Georgia, my goodness, like now they're even more loaded. So not to say there aren't other really great teams. Ohio State got back almost all of their guys that could have gone to the NFL. Um, they'll obviously be in the mix. I wouldn't. I don't think Michigan will fall apart, even, even if Harbaugh leaves. But, yeah, Georgia is the, the clear number one in a season, by the way, where the national championship game is going to be in Atlanta. Would add some spice to it for sure. Stuart Mandel, again, you can check out the Audible. Just had another episode come out yesterday. He's really hoping he doesn't need to put another one out before Friday. Stuart, I appreciate you making some time for us here on the Chuck Oliver Show. 
Thanks. Thanks for having me. There you go. Stuart Mandel. Check out the podcast. They do a great job with it. Of course, check out The Athletic. Not just Stuart, but everybody over there does a fantastic job covering the sport of college football. It is the Chuck Oliver Show. Final thoughts for today, including one program nobody talks about too much that has done a really nice job overcoming a coaching departure and adding some quality personnel. We'll explain coming up here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. I think this is a pretty clear case of kids like, I don't know who the hell Kalen DeBoer is. Sure, cool. You won a lot of games at a school that I can't find on a map, and you did good for two years at Washington, but I don't know you. You didn't recruit me out of high school. I've never really talked to you. You don't know me. You don't know my family. I can make a lot more money playing for a guy that I've heard of. Peace. I'm going to go to the school that finished second in my recruitment. That would be the voice of Bud Elliott of CBS Sports, 24-7 Sports. Bud is uh, somebody who is one of the national analysts for them and uh, never shy to speak his mind about anything and kind of summing up what he thinks the core issue is here for Alabama, that you just have a lot of kids. It's not that Kalen DeBoer is a bad coach, but he is, for better or worse, to a lot of them, an unfamiliar coach. You're talking about somebody that, yes, at Washington had a phenomenal year this year, but still is somebody who had no real national presence for a lot of the season. What Pac-12 coach did you hear the most about this year? Probably Dan Lanning. What coach did you hear second most about? Deion Sanders? Actually, it's probably the other way around if we're talking about the whole season, but as the year went on. You heard a lot more about Oregon. Even when they played again, it was, all oh, Oregon's going to beat Washington. Except for they didn't. Washington kept winning. Deion Sanders sucked up all the oxygen in the room for the month of September in college football. So you heard plenty about him. Heard a lot about Lanning. Heck, you heard a lot about Lincoln Riley as things went south with Southern Cal and they had to fire his defensive coordinator and people were saying, what is wrong with the Trojans? And, geez, is this Riley thing not going to work? At best, you're talking about fourth on the list of Pac-12 coaches for conversation about Kalen DeBoer. Not about his team, about him. Because he doesn't seem to be that kind of guy. He doesn't seem to be somebody who is necessarily prone to court public attention as much. And I talked about it even before the, the playoff that it was just fascinating because you had three guys in the playoff who were big-time personalities. Saban obviously speaks for himself. Harbaugh. What more needs to be said? Sarkeesian isn't as big as those two, but still a very well-known name for a lot of reasons. And then Kalen DeBoer, if you had taken five 50-year-old guys and put them on the sideline together in Washington apparel and said, which one of them is Kalen DeBoer, how many fans would have been able to pick him out? Probably not that many that really knew him. And I just think that's the same issue they're having with kids. It's it's not that they think he's a bad coach. They just don't know him. And in a time where everything's moving faster than ever, uh, this is how you wind up with this situation of of kids just saying, hey, I, I got I to gotta go where I'm familiar. I got to go with somebody that I feel like I know. Uh, now we'll see over time how Bama makes up for that. I think they will. But it is going to be a challenge for them to make that happen. All right, let's uh, quickly tell you about what matters to me today. That is presented to you by This Stuff Matters. 
Uh, I just want to mention what Tulane is doing because Tulane obviously lost Willie Fritz. They weren't happy about it, and understandably so, they weren't happy about it to lose Willie Fritz to Houston. They go and they get John Sumrall from Troy. This is a guy who was perceived as maybe being ready to become an SEC head coach in the last year or two. Came from Kentucky, went to Troy, did good things at Troy, but right now the SEC, it looks like maybe there's another step between a job like Troy these days and an SEC head coaching spot. So Summerall goes to Tulane. He landed one of the kids coming out of Alabama. Jaden Lewis, the four-star quarterback, he landed him. He also landed uh, another transfer-wide receiver from Alabama, plus Shaz Preston out of the portal. You talk about a guy who's adding high-quality talent unexpectedly at Tulane as a transfer. That is a school that, if you look at it, should be good. I'm not saying Tulane should be top 20 every year, but I never understood why Tulane struggled as much as they did. It's a good academic school. It's in a really fun city to be in. Um, there's no reason they couldn't be a solid program year in, year out. There's a few programs that every year you look at and you say, man, it feels like they should be better. UNLV has always been one of those kind of programs for me, especially now that they played an NFL stadium. But even before that, it felt like they should be better. Arizona State has felt forever like they should be better. And Tulane for so many years felt like it should be better and then willie fritz took them and made them a consistently good program and left and people said ah man we're gonna probably take a step back i don't think they are i think Summerall is showing already he can build off of what fritz did we know the guy can coach i think they're off to a really nice start over there and that is what matters to me today that is presented by thisstuffmatters.net as you can tell by the whistling, it's time for us to wrap it up for today. want to say thanks to all our guests. And, of course, thanks to David Holloway for producing the program. As always, appreciate you taking the time to listen. Don't forget you can follow the show on Twitter. Chuck Oliver's show is the handle there. Heath Radio for me if you want to shoot me a thought directly. Thanks to you for listening. We'll see you here tomorrow on The Chuck Oliver Show. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves. And people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. At Jim Ellis Automotive, we take pride in our family-owned and operated business. Hi, I'm Stacy Ellis, Vice President of the Jim Ellis Automotive Group. When my granddad, Jim Ellis, founded our company in 1971, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was easy and fully transparent. And it worked. Fifty years later, my dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. Today, third-generation family members like myself, along with the support of more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values our company was founded on. At Jim Ellis Automotive, we try harder because we sincerely value your satisfaction. That's why we've been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of our 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, still family-owned and operated and where you can always expect the best. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. (sighs) Or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. 
or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands, an easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com. 